0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode we're going to be talking about anime episodes 122 through 124 which will be covering manga chapters 200 to 205. We get the short-awaited rematch between Crocodile and Luffy. Let's see how he does against him now that he's got a way to actually hit him. So, the synopsis. Luffy now armed with the information that Crocodile can be hit if he comes into contact with water, he takes advantage of that to face him in a second round matchup while the Straw Hats including Vivi are now running around the city looking for the bomb that Crocodile has planted to blow up everyone in the battlefield. So the differences between the anime and the manga, these chapters are pretty much adapted incredibly faithfully except for two really small details at the beginning of round three of Crocodile and Luffy's fight in the underground chamber. There's a moment where Luffy is charging in to punch Crocodile and sees that Crocodile is about to grab his punch to suck out the hydration. So Luffy stops mid-punch and holds back. However, in the manga, he does this in a slightly more creative way. So in the manga it's implied that he's already at the point of no return and can't stop the punch so instead of just holding back he kicks his own foot up and then punches his foot instead to stop himself from actually making contact with crocodile which is really interesting and i'm gonna talk about this a little bit more later but the other slight change is i noticed was how luffy gets poisoned in the anime So Luffy in the anime extends a Gomu Gomu Pistol Punch. And while it's extended, Crocodile cuts him with the poison hook while Luffy pulls his arm to the side. He also gets later cut in the leg almost the same way. However, in the manga, Crocodile and Luffy trade blows. And Luffy gets inadvertently cut on the shoulder as he kicks Crocodile's face during close quarters combat. And I like that in the manga, Luffy's strategically only using close quarters combat. To avoid leaving himself open for too long and getting his hydration sucked out or getting poisoned because he's learned from his last two fights. They're both really minor changes but I think they kind of take away from Luffy's sort of combat creativity and his fighting sense. And I'm honestly not sure why they changed these because it just seems weird. They don't really do anything to me and it just seems like they just change it to to change it. But yeah, anyways, let's go into the episodes themselves. So here we go, round two with Luffy back. And this time with an actual strategy against Crocodile's Sand abilities, he goes on the offensive. Like we've noted throughout the series that while Luffy acts like an idiot, when it comes to combat, he's incredibly insightful and smart. As we see all throughout his, this fight, one thing I love is that each time Luffy makes a mistake, he, he learns and comes up with something new and even takes the advice of his enemies He takes heart to Crocodile saying that it's not just about relying on the power of the devil fruit, but using it in creative ways. And one of the best examples of this is how he uses the water-covered Gomu Gomu no Pistol, but is immediately grabbed and dehydrated. But the next attack he uses when he does Gomu Gomu no Pistol, but then plucks his arm like a guitar string and makes it vibrate, causing it to look like multiple fists, making it hard for Crocodile to actually grab the correct arm. And it's like seeing stuff like that it's it's such it's so cool seeing Luffy just like come up with all these like ridiculous ways to combat their his enemies strategies and to sort of one up them. And I think one thing I really like about this fight so much is that this sort of turn around in the dynamic of the fight compared to the first one is a very natural progression and it makes sense. Unlike some other anime series it's not some random power-up or transformation that Luffy does here. It isn't the result of some deus ex machina plot device he actually uses his brains and strategy here to gain the upper hand on crocodile and not only is it satisfying to watch but it's really fun too we also get to see luffy's silly personality again play a role in gaining an advantage in the fight as well like many of his past villains we see luffy's silly personality and antics causes opponents to underestimate him and lower their guards here with crocodile after luffy loses the rope to keep the water barrel on his back he has to comically drink the entire barrel causing him to balloon up And even springing a leak from his impalement earlier, causing him to become water luffy and this is understandably played for laughs but it's just as absurd in universe and crocodile begins to wonder if he even understands the seriousness and the danger of the situation that luffy finds himself in and he believes luffy to be a, a foolish idiot who's in way over his head and decides to just charge in at luffy head on and ends up being doused by water leading to a critical mistake causing him to be stopped in his tracks allowing luffy to land a Devastating Gobangomono bazooka right into Crocodile's gut. And this hit is animated much better, and it really sells the impact of this hit. Which is good because I personally love this hit even more than the initial punch, the one that I complained about in the last episode. This one looks like it actually did some real damage to Crocodile. I think one thing that always stood out to me about this whole section is how genuinely Robin laughs here seeing the antics of Water Luffy. I feel like this is the first time we see sort of that mysterious tough facade drop for a split second as she can't help but laugh hard at what she's seeing here, which is understandable because it's really stupidly funny and it's Interesting and refreshing to see a character, much less a villain, acknowledge that in the story itself unironically. However, even with Luffy's best efforts and newfound strategy, it's still no match for Crocodile as he unleashes a new insane ability called Ground Death, drying up everything around him and turning it into dust, leaving nowhere for Luffy to stand, and he's left hanging off the side and is grabbed with all the hydration sucked out of him And in the shot reminiscent of his last defeat, he's once again lost to Crocodile. This here is a showcase of why Crocodile is so damn scary and dangerous as a villain. It's not only can he himself turn into sand, he has the ability to turn his environment around him into sand, making it an overwhelming and suffocating environment to fight against. But just before he does get all the water sucked out of him, Luffy spits out the remaining water he has up at Crocodile but misses him. I always laugh because again this sound effect that it uses to uh, fire the water is from Dragon Ball Z as the key blast sound effect if you've ever seen that. (laughs) I always found it a little ambiguous here as to whether Luffy intentionally shot the water into the air to save himself later or he was actually trying to attack Crocodile as a last ditch effort but got lucky that the water came back down onto him. In my opinion I think it's the latter because I believe that no matter the scenario I don't think Luffy would ever admit defeat and think past that. So for him to concede the immediate fight and think about the next one seems a little out of character for me. So I think he was still trying to get Crocodile wet here and still thinking he could turn it around but missed and got slightly lucky that the water came back down on top of him. But I'd love to hear what everybody else's thoughts are on this moment because it is It has been always kind of ambiguous to me. We catch up with Robin and Cobra making their way to the poneglyph and they're stopped by Tashigi and her squad but are completely outmatched at the hands of Robin's powers. Tashigi knowing this decides to order her troops to stop the bomb while she tries to take on Robin and save Cobra alone. But before that, we get some more insight into Nico Robin's past and a bit more world building between this scene and their conversation later as they walk down to the underground chamber. We learn that Nico Robin has had her crazy bounty of 79 million since she was just a child, which is insane to think what led to a child even with her powers to have that sort of a bounty on par as someone like Crocodile. And they do go to mention that she sank six ships by herself as a child, which is incredible we also learned that she is one of the very few people who can actually read a poneglyph which can lead to these sort of ancient weapons that could lead to the government being overthrown which probably has a part in the size of her bounty tashigi try as she might on the other hand gets utterly destroyed by robin and is then mocked by crocodile for being unable to do anything and after coming across luffy all she can do is tell him which direction crocodile went this decision right here solidified to me, kind of why I love Tashigi. Because even though she's a marine, she doesn't just blindly follow a rigid sense of dogmatic justice of the marines, but sees the situation for what it is and does what she believes is right accordance to her own sense of justice, even if it means relying on and helping a pirate, as long as it helps the people and saves lives. Tashigi is goals right here. Her priority is helping people and not the politics of keeping up an image of justice and the marines. However, this dissonance in what she thought was justice and what the real world is like causes her to have to come to grips with what justice actually means for her going forward and i really like the fact that she has to reflect on this and more on this in a few more episodes though but for now i personally really like this world view that tashiki has and why i like tashiki so much is because Yeah, it's important to follow rules and laws and stuff, but it shouldn't come at the expense of helping people when that's what your sole goal is and it's not for political power and whatnot. And I really like the fact that Tashigi embodies this and she makes the, the hard choices to basically align herself with a pirate to take down an even worse pirate. Moving to the other end of the story, Vivi and the others are still trying to find and stop the bomb. Vivi remembers from her childhood a potential hiding spot and calls everyone back. (laughs) And of course, Zoro is comically lost way outside the city limits, like beyond the walls, which is (laughs) absolutely hilarious. We then cut to Luffy just before he reaches the chamber and he collapses from the wounds he sustained and the massive blood loss. Which was ironically made worse when he drank all the water that when he became Water Luffy and stretched his wound open and causes that little leak to spring. And it was played as a joke at the time, but it's come back here to actually be a pretty serious problem for him. Inside the underground chamber, Robin and Crocodile learn that the Poneglyph doesn't contain anything regarding the Pluton, which is kind of shocking actually. Crocodile learning this decides that he no longer needs Robin and decides to kill her, accusing her of withholding that information even if it was there. She tries to fight back with some water, expecting this turn of events, but she's no match for his power and gets stabbed in the back literally by his hook in a rather graphic and brutal manner. As the sound completely cuts out with the hook, jutting out of her chest, and then gets violently ripped out, seemingly killing her. We know in One Piece people can survive this kind of wound as Luffy has already shown us. I I mean, I definitely saw this coming. It was interesting though that Robin's strategy was just one little like test tube of water. And it's like, that's all you had in preparation to fight Crocodile? Like I would have expected Robin to be a little bit smarter than that, but you know, I guess she had to go down for the story purposes. Luffy catches up to them in the underground chamber. Without water, though, we're thinking, how is he going to hit Crocodile? Then Luffy lunges at Crocodile and lands a gom pistol square in the face. And it dawns on you he used his own blood from the wound that he was basically collapsing from. Thus, round three begins. And something that I really love about this theme or idea of Luffy turning a weakness into a strength I mean, Luffy is one creative bastard when it comes to combat, but I think here's another awesome takeaway for people in real life about how not every weakness is purely negative. Sometimes we can take a look at a negative situation and find some way to look at it in a different way and draw the positivity out of it or take one of our weaknesses and turn it into a strength somehow. I think that's a great sort of idea of looking at at life in a way. You know it's not applicable to every single weakness or situation but I think there's something to be said in that sort of the positive mindset of not looking at every negative or weakness about yourself or your situation and just completely resigning yourself to it. Getting back to the story though, Crocodile at this point I think is pretty scared. This guy has avoided death by being killed twice now He knows his weakness and seems to have an unshakable determination to beat the shit out of him. So here Crocodile decides to pull out a cheap trick. And for all the talk earlier of the fact that like truly powerful pirates will use their devil fruits in creative ways. It's Crocodile now who's reduced to using cheap tricks like poison and weapons. While Luffy is actually the one using his body in creative ways along with the sheer power of will that he has. In particular... I love one move that was changed in the anime, like I mentioned up above. Like, a, you know, Luffy is about to punch him with Gomu Gomu no pistol, but then Crocodile readies his hand to stop it to suck out the hydration out. But Luffy instinctively kicks his foot up to stop his punch or in the anime he after he extends his arm for a punch he actually pulls his hand away while it's still already extended with his other hand to try and prevent his arm from getting skewered by the hook and Luffy keeps innovating how he he uses his body and his powers throughout this entire fight while Crocodile is increasingly more and more reliant on tricks and weapons and sort of shows this sort of all the talk that Crocodile has in that when the chips are down, Crocodile can't even follow his own advice. Getting back to the other Straw Hats, they're all trying to get back to Usopp and Vivi's signal, but because the signal is visible to everyone, it attracts the Baroque works too, unfortunately. Zoro still lost, is guided actually by the Marines, and Nami and Chopper are actually rescued by Tashigi and her squad, as she now fully is committed to supporting the Straw Hats in their effort to help Vivi. It flashes back to the moment at Rain Base where Smoker leaves Tashige in charge and for her to decide how she will proceed once she gets to Arubana. As a kid, I always was confused as to why Smoker left. And as I grew up, I thought it was just a lazy narrative way to get rid of a super powerful combatant from the fight, so that it doesn't turn into sort of this Deus Ex Machina type of situation. But more recently, I think I finally see why Smoker leaves here from an in-story standpoint. Because if you remember, just before this flashback moment, Smoker himself had the realization that justice isn't so black and white. With the Straw Hats clearly not evil, nor their outright enemies, when he sees that Luffy actually just, out of his sheer whim, decides to save Smoker from drowning, even though they're considered enemies. And I think seeing what was about to happen with the conflict between the Hats, Alabasta and the Baroque works, he wanted Tashigi to also gain this sort of insight and come to this realization as well, and wanted Tashigi to grow, but he also knew Tashigi being so straight-laced, she needed to experience this firsthand to make up her own mind, as opposed to straight-up lecturing her. And you see here that that's exactly what has happened after Tashigi has seen everything and experienced what quote-unquote justice is in this world of the pirates and the grand Line, and she now realizes that everything's not so black and white. And Tashigi seeing this without enough strength to carry out her own sense of justice now has to rely on pirates of all people to help her save the country and defeat the Baroque works. It really, really begins to make her question, what does justice actually mean? When the people she thought were the criminals are the ones who are doing more to help the people than she or her soldiers can, it really throws a wrench into that sort of mindset and philosophy. However, because Tashiki being the incredible person she is, and truly has a moral sense of justice, she puts away her preconceived notions and does what she believes is right. And that is helping the people of Alabasta and saving as many lives as possible even if it means aligning herself with the pirates and this right here like i alluded to way back when i was talking about her in Logtown, is why i love tashigi and smoker so 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 much and even though they don't get their time to shine as often as i wish they would you know they don't let anything get in the way of doing the right thing and i really admire that as characters i just wish i got to see more cool moments with tashigi and smoker though To end the episode, Vivi leads the crew to the clock tower after having figured it out from a memory from her childhood. However, just when they need him the most to get to the top in four minutes, Pell is shot down by another Baroque Works pair, Mr. Seven and Miss Father's Day. And they've got to be the strangest designed pair. Also, Pell... Man, Pell can't catch a break. This guy has been through a lot. And uh, yeah, I... You know the one thing though is I feel like it's so random having introduced Mr. Seven and Miss Father's Day right here towards the very end. They just kind of like randomly show up but you know it is what it is. I don't really mind it that much. With Sanji and Zoro a quarter and halfway up the tower respectively they all need to figure out a way to get up there somehow in less than four minutes to stop the bomb. But that's where the episode ends. And as we near the finale of the battle, the stakes have never been higher with time running out for everyone. The crew has to figure out a way to disarm the bomb in less than four minutes. And Luffy has to somehow beat Crocodile before he succumbs to the poison or the chamber collapses on top of him. And yeah, I honestly can't wait till the next podcast episode because I love talking about these next three episodes because they're so cool um anyways if you enjoyed this send me a like or comment and if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching one piece please consider subscribing you can also check out my instagram and my basically inactive twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast podcast if you want updates of when i post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection anyways uh stay tuned for a small spoiler section but if you want to avoid spoilers i want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and i hope to see you on the next episode Alright so spoiler section just a couple things and these are going to be more or less less scripted so it's going to be just me off the top of my head. But I think one thing I wanted to mention is is while I love Tashigi and Smoker a lot as characters I just wish they had more things to do. And the thing about Smoker is, is as much as I love his character I think he gets kind of shafted later on in the story. I mean, I feel like Smoker just gets his ass handed to him left and right, despite how strong he seems. I don't know. I just wish he had some more moments of to shine. Because, I, I mean, the last memory I have of Smoker is just him getting his ass handed to him by Doflamingo. And while Tashigi has some amazing moments in Punk Hazard, I don't, you know, it's, there's just really not much for them to do, unfortunately. I do think towards the end of the series well at least this is my hope is that Oda has some plan for for both of them because they've been building up to to them sort of I don't want to say anti-heroes because I mean they're they're pretty much heroes they're they're good people and they do the right thing and there are some of the very few marines that actually have their own sense of justice that's actually morally correct by most standards and so I hope that they come back and help the Strong Hats at some point, at least near the end of the series. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Robin, obviously. We get to learn that she sank those those six ships, but obviously we later find out that that was the doing of the buster call, called in by Spandem's father. And Akainu, or Sakazuki, is the one that actually fired on all those ships, and Robin really didn't have anything to do with it. And they covered it up with the whole mess on Ohara and giving her that bounty and it's interesting to see that this story had been set up here and it doesn't even culminate until f- I th- probably like another 200 or so episodes when we finally get to Water 7 or at least, or maybe Long Ring, Long Ring Long Land man that's always a hard one to say but yeah when they run into Aokiji and, and they attack or he attacks them and so it's it's crazy I always love going back and seeing these like sort of breadcrumbs placed in the beginning of the series and having them come to fruition like hundreds of episodes later and like several years down the line because I I believe this between this moment and the Water 7 moment that's like six years and so (laughs) it's a long ass time to to wait and yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how, that, how those brick crumbs really show up in the fact that she hates people from the world government, obviously, because of the buster call and what she's been through. And it's interesting that Oda has already basically outlined Robin's entire sort of arc from here until the end of NES Lobby, at least. But yeah, those are just a few small things that I wanted to mention. Anyways, thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.